Wisconsin sports fans. Welcome to MVP, a Wisconsin sports podcast where we debate and discuss all things Wisconsin sports, including the Packers, Brewers, Badgers, and your 2021 NBA champions, the Milwaukee Bucks. And now, broadcasting from their man caves are your hosts, Punk and Mark! What is up, Wisconsin sports fans? Pug is here. What's going on, guys? It's Mark. How you doing? Doing pretty good. It's just uh, February. We're getting nice weather again. Like, I don't know, man. It's kind of weird. I'm not complaining, though. I'll take this weather. It feels like baseball season. It's baseball weather out there. 40 degrees, sunny. It, it's spring. When uh, pitchers and catchers report, to me, that's like the first sign of spring. I, I agree. I mean, I was even uh, grilling out bratwurst the other night. Like, I mean, I grill out pretty, all winter anyways, but like it was perfect weather to grill out the other night. It stays, the sun stays up past like five o'clock now, which is nice. It's not dark right when I'm getting off work. So Yes. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, let's get you with this dad joke right away. What is your dog's favorite breakfast? Well, my dog's favorite breakfast is anything to do with meat. Um, but in general, a dog's favorite breakfast is steak and eggs. Nope. Uh, pooched eggs. Oh, pooched eggs. Okay. Sure. Not one of my favorites. That's fine. Three out of ten. I will not give any credit to the author when you said their joke is three out of ten. We'll save it for when you say it's a ten out of ten. That that's fine. I thought all these were Giannis jokes anyway. Well, they are from the book that Giannis read was reading. Oh, them yeah, but he didn't. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I'm yeah, done. correct. Yeah, no, Giannis didn't write them. So. All right, so where are we going to first this week? Yeah, I think we'll uh, hit it off right away with the All-Star break and some uh, fun stuff for the Bucks and the All-Star break and then the game. I'm going to start with one of these while we talk about that. Get it out of the way. Because it's Dame time. I was going to say, I wanted to know if there was a specific reason because I'm popping one of these for Damian Lillard because he just had a hell of a weekend, man, and he deserves one. He does. He he took home a couple pieces of hardware, so he's your back-to-back three-point championship holder, and then he all goes out in the All-Star game, uh, puts a heck of a performance, and earns the MVP honors of the All-Star game. Yeah, drilling two half-court shots in the process. That was he made that just look so natural and easy for him. It, I was like, maybe you should just start taking these in games. Maybe the problem during the during the games and the reason he's not shooting as great as he has in years past is he's shooting too close. Maybe we just need to back him up a little bit. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, for me, though, it was just it was so much more epic because he hit that one after Luca tried to get fancy and absolutely got destroyed at the rim. See, I enjoyed it because the second place and the runner up to the MVP voting was Tyrese Halliburton and it was in Indiana. And if I'm sure all Bucks fans remember, Indiana was where they stole the whole game ball and that all controversy came from. And so to go to Indiana and to have Damian Lillard take the MVP in front of the Indiana crowd and the Indiana crowd is booing him as he wins the MVP, that was fun for me. I enjoyed that. 
Yeah, I mean, Therese didn't have a terrible game himself, but if you're looking at the stats, Dame was a little bit better. I'm and the East takes this game two eleven to one eighty six. Apparently, the Bucks just play no defense, and that's how they win. Yeah, right. I mean, we've been watching the Bucks all year. We know they don't play defense, so this this felt very at home for us. I mean, it was it was fun. We all know defense isn't really played in the All Star game, but. Damian Lillard had 39 points. Like you said, won the all-star game MVP. Giannis had 23 points. Most points ever scored in an all-star game. It was, it was a fun sideshow for a night. I had fun with it. I was loving Dame hitting those half court shots. That was awesome. I was loving uh, seeing Giannis throw down some of the monster dunks he did. Like it was a fun, a fun sideshow for a night. Yeah, it, it was definitely a fun sideshow. Um, I do want to talk about Saturday night because Damian Lillard won the three-point contest too, like we talked about. I mean, had a big weekend. And he's the first Milwaukee Buck to win a Saturday night event since Ray Allen won the three-point contest way back in 2001. It had been 23 years since a Milwaukee Buck had won any of like the dunk contest, three-point contest, skills challenge. Back when they used to do the shooting stars, there was never a Milwaukee team um, so like it, it had been a very, very long time. I was legitimately nine years old the last time a Milwaukee Buck won one of these events. So it, it's pretty crazy to think. I mean, I watch these events pretty much every year, and it's so fun to have a Milwaukee Buck actually win. I was I was I cared more, I think, about the three point contest than I did the actual All Star game. And it was just fun to see like a guy in a Milwaukee jersey win it. Yeah. It Definitely was. I mean, in round one, Malik Beasley, the other uh, buck, was the low scoring out of all of them with 20. Uh, so he was eliminated right away. But uh, it was awesome to see, like you said, a Bucks player to win the three-point contest again. And I was personally a fan of the jerseys they were wearing, too. The City Edition jerseys that they yep. wore during the tournament? Yeah, yeah, I I do like those jerseys. So, like, I thought that was fitting for them to wear it for the contest. My wife always thinks that they look like our pool liner. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, probably not wrong. I actually do like them, though. I like them more, these ones more than previous editions. Um, It's funny you mentioned Malik Beasley. I was excited to see what he was going to do his first time in the event. And woof, I don't even think he finished his final rack. Like you said, the lowest scoring participant this year, uh, he, he got done. I was like, yikes, that was rough. Yeah, I mean, there there's another guy that only had 21. So it wasn't like he was way down there, but it, it wasn't pretty. No, and for what it's worth, I mean, the first round had a four-way tie with the highest score of 26. So it's not like he was way out of it, but it, it wasn't great. No, it was not. Do you have anything else on All-Star Weekend? Always, we do have thoughts, actually have a, thoughts on the dunk contest. Uh, the dunk contest has been underwhelming for several years now, although it very much felt like the judges were trying to rig it in favor of Jalen Brown as opposed to Mac McClung, who to me was clearly the superior dunker. And I mean, he ended up winning, but I felt like it was just because he, he was so much better that if it had been close at all, I feel like the judges would have given it to Jalen Brown because they were desperate for a star to actually win the dunk contest as opposed to a random G League dude. But Mac McClung is definitely the best dunker in the game right now, bar none. Oh, 100%. It's uh, it's always a shame. There's, there's big-time dunkers that don't participate, but 
I mean, yeah, I would agree. It's kind of just what it is at this point. And um, I definitely still believe that you should get bonus points if you make your dunk on the first time. Yeah, I've I've become to the point where I actually prefer the three-point contest to the dunk contest. I think it's just more... It's more organic. It's more fun for me. It the the intensity kind of draws up a little bit for the three point contest, especially in the final round. And I mean, part of it to me is like I wonder if we've just kind of seen what's humanly possible in the dunk contest. Like, I mean, I know Mac McClung pulled out one unique original dunk this year that we had never seen that was pretty cool but like every other dunk in this contest is something we've seen at least a variation of if not a very similar dunk in years past and so it's just like have we kind of seen now what nba players can do as far as dunking a basketball and i don't know i keep waiting for the year that kind of revitalizes it because we've hit ruts before with the dunk contest and then all of a sudden they'll have a great one but i feel like we're definitely in one of those ruts right now I, I would agree. I feel like we've hit what anything that's humanly possible has been done at this point for the most part. Like there's some weird variations that they can pull out, but at the end of the day, it's pretty similar all around. Definitely. Um, okay. Let's talk about the Bucks then. They did actually play one game um, and I don't think we need to ta- spend a ton of time on it, but they also made a couple transactions. But let's start with the game. They played at the Memphis Grizzlies on Thursday night, and they lost 113 to 110. The reason I say I don't think we need to take spend a ton of time on this game is, one, it's one game. It's a bad loss. Memphis is not a good team. The Bucks should have won this game, so let's be clear with that. But it's also one of those, the Grizzlies were 50% from three. The Bucks were 25% from three. That's a massive shooting variance. And the Bucks only lost by three. Uh, like, the fact is, they just, uh, it was a massive shooting variance game against them. They still were almost able to pull it out. I think 90% of the time in that game, they win that game. It takes something crazy like that for them to lose it. It sucks they lost. They shouldn't have lost. But I'm not reading too much into it. Yeah, I mean, Dame would have had a good look from three if he wouldn't run into Brooke Lopez at the end of that game. It's yeah. kind of a weird ending right they would have had a chance and to at least tie it but just a very weird ending all around um outside of that though i mean like you said it's one game uh not ideal situation to go into the all-star break at a loss but they'll get some time i'm i mean it's kind of a little bit rough with the coaching staff for the Bucks being at the all-star game like they probably didn't get to spend a lot of time with the guys um, and work on stuff like it helps that there was a lot of bucks there but it still makes it tough to work on stuff and off the all-star break when most of your staff has responsibilities that weekend right yeah i mean i don't know i, I go back and forth on this because if doc hadn't been at the all-star game then he's not by damon Giannis, right because damon Giannis were going to be at the all-star game at least this way, he's with Dame and Giannis, and Beasley was there too. So I, not that they got like a ton of practice time in or anything like that, but at least they could maybe work on a few things or communicate throughout the throughout the weekend. I don't know. I, I'm assuming most players take vacations on the All Star weekend. Most players plan those those months in advance. So I don't think a lot of guys would have been stuck around Milwaukee anyway. It, I don't know. It's one of those that I don't think they were going to get a ton done either way. I think what's nice is actually the entire coaching staff was together and could kind of really try to get on the same page 
over this week long break that they're on because everyone's there together doing the same thing that really, let's be frank, none of them really care about the all-star game. Yeah. Yeah. Very fair. And I mean, it was kind of just another ho-hum Bucks game of who's this Bucks team, right? Definitely. Um, they did make a couple transactions. They filled their last roster spot by signing 35 year old veteran power forward Danilo Gallinari. Um, fairly interesting signing. I don't think so. I said it last week when we talked, there was no one on the buyout market that I was super excited for. I don't think there's anyone that was on the buyout market that was going to come in and take a playoff rotation spot, but you were probably looking at someone who could add some depth. And I think that's what Gallinari is. He so far this year is averaging 7.3 points per game. He's 35 and a half percent from three in 15 minutes per game. Uh, he's 35 years old. He is career 38% from three and 15 points per game. So he has had some success in his career. He's played several years under Doc Rivers. So uh, he should know Doc Rivers system fairly well. So maybe he can come in and help transition. I do think he's going to get some regular season run. I don't think he's a guy that they signed to sit on the end of the bench. I expect him to start, or not start. I'm sorry. I expect him to play rotational minutes. I don't think he's a guy though, that should be in the playoff rotation. If everyone's healthy, I think, I don't see him in your top seven or eight guys at at this point in his career. Man, I was going to say you went from saying just a, another guy and then you're like, oh, he's going to start. Yeah, sorry. That, that was, <laughs> yeah. I misspoke. He, I expect him to come off the bench. I do not expect him to start. I don't think he's starting a power forward over Giannis. You know, bold call there. Yeah, very bold. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting to me a little bit is he kind of runs similar to Bobby Portis. Um, so I'm curious how that's going to, how, how they're going to run the rotation there. Both are guys that are good scores can hit an open three, not great defenders. So I'm, I'll be curious because they're they're uh, Bobby Portis does more of the post-up stuff than Danilo Gallinari does. He scores in other ways, but yeah, I'll be curious because they're, they're kind of similar players and I don't know that you want to run them out together, but that's currently your backup power forward and center. So I don't know if they'll try to stagger those more with Giannis and Brooke. I don't know how they'll do it, but that, that part's kind of curious. To me. Well, they better not take minutes from Bobby Portis. Yeah, uh, we all know how you feel about that one. <laughs> yeah, I would tell Coach how I feel about that one. I would go there in person. Um. Then the, they made another minor transaction. They signed Ryan Rollins to a one of their, they had two open two-way contracts and they filled one of those with Ryan Rollins. He is a 21-year-old forward. He was a second round pick a couple years ago by the Golden State Warriors, played for the Washington Wizards a little bit. I Actually a decently y- solid young player. I think talent-wise, there's some stuff to like there, especially on the defensive end. But he got released actually by the Wizards after he got caught shoplifting at target. And so it's like, uh, what's your mental capacity here? Cause you're an NBA player. Why are you shoplifting from target of all places? And, uh, so that, that's a little strange, but if his head screwed on, right, there might be something there. I don't know. It's a two way contract. So whatever. That is uh very interesting. I mean, there's certainly a, a choice there. Yeah, right. I, I don't get the, the risk-reward. It doesn't compute in my head. but you know, No, it, it does not compute in my head either. <laughs> but that's really all I had on the Bucks this week. Very light week. They played one game. Dame had a yacht, uh, an awesome all-star weekend. Bucks made a couple moves. But, yeah, uh, not not a ton here. 
Yeah, I don't have anything else on the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's uh, stay in the city of Milwaukee and shift to uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, even though they're not in the state of Wisconsin. They're down in uh, the sunny state of Arizona. Uh, And I think we want to talk about the infield a little bit this week. Yeah, before we actually get to the infield, they did make a transaction um, that I think was fairly headline worthy. Uh, they re-signed Brandon Woodruff to a two-year contract. Now, Brandon Woodruff will most likely miss most, if not all, of this season with the shoulder injury he suffered at the end of last season. So this move will probably impact 2025 much more than 2024. But what are your thoughts on bringing him back? Man, I'm excited. I I'm a huge Brandon Woodruff fan, and I always, I mean, we talked about it when we thought we saw the end of Woodruff in Milwaukee, and uh, it's just exciting that they're bringing him back and uh, showing that the you know the Brewers are still trying to compete. They're just doing it in the small market way, and uh, it's a guy that they can probably get a little cheaper than they would have if he wasn't injured. Uh, just you know, ride him out this season if, from an injury. Maybe pitch him out of the bullpen late in the season so you don't have to stretch him out as a starter. See how he feels at that point, and uh, hopefully uh, turn around and get a good season from him next year. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. Very excited that Brandon Woodruff's back. Obviously, he's a major fan favorite. Fans love him here. We talked about that when they traded Corbin Burns, right? That Burns never really related to the fan base in the same way that Brandon Woodruff has. And so from that perspective, it's very exciting to bring him back. Obviously, as fans, we like to root for players that we feel some type of connection to, and Brandon Woodruff definitely fits that bill. From a purely on-the-field perspective, I don't expect this to impact 2024 at all. Maybe he comes back late in the season and either makes a couple starts or pitches out of the bullpen or something. For 2025, I think this is a pretty open-ended question, and we haven't seen the financial details of this move yet, so I don't know how much money the Brewers have guaranteed him, but the specific type of shoulder shoulder injury that Brandon Woodruff suffered has a fairly like Tommy John is a, has a high rate of success, right? This specific type of soldier injury that Brandon Woodruff suffered has a much lower rate of success coming back. Not that it's impossible. There have been some pitchers that have bounced back and had successful careers after the injury. So I'm not saying like his career is dead or anything, but it is a higher risk is, is Brandon Woodruff going to be the same guy he was prior to the injury. He's going to be, I believe 32 or 33 when he pitches again in 2025. So you got to add, age factors into this. I don't know that we're going to get the same Brandon Woodruff. I wouldn't write it off the table. Like I don't, I I'm curious. I will be very curious. I think that's going to be a major wild card for the 2025 brewers as to how good Brandon Woodruff will be. But from a fan perspective, very excited to bring him back. Just give him bat. Yeah. Let him go DH, right? He can yeah. do that while he's recovering uh, from this surgery. He can go hit. I'm sure. I'm I bet he could. Only against Clay and Kershaw, though. Oh, yeah. That's the matchup, right? Only when we go up against the Dodgers and Kershaw? Yep, that is 100% the matchup, and it is going to be a guaranteed home run. All right, let's move to the infield preview that we want to do. And one, the first guy I want to talk about, because news broke on this over the weekend, before we get into specific positions, because I don't know that this guy fits into any of these specific position discussions, but... Sal Freelich is getting some spring training practice at second base and third base. He apparently Pat Murphy had the idea back in the fall to have him meet with Dustin Pedroia, who 
Pat Murphy had coached at in college. So Sal Fralick met with Dustin Pedroia trying to learn second base and third base. He did play some infield back in high school and I believe a little bit in the summer wood bat leagues that he played in in college, but he never played it at Boston College, never played it in the minors or anything like that. But what are your thoughts on Freilich getting some potential infield time here? Very interesting. I mean, we talked about the log jam out in the outfield and where everybody's going to kind of play. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting what that looks like. Uh, I don't know. I know he's played, what was it in high school? Uh, he's played some uh, time down there. So he's at least not like first time ever in the, infield but playing at the high school level versus at the pros and having probably not played any positions on the infield for a long period of time uh that's gonna be definitely an interesting experiment yeah that's kind of how i feel i don't know what to expect with this um i kind of feel like this is more for in-game flexibility more so than i expect south relic to all of a sudden become the starting second baseman or third baseman more like if they need to pinch hit for something they have Freilich who they could throw in at second base or third base to cover a couple innings late in the game if they decide they want to go with a specific matchup uh, batting wise i Maybe or maybe if there's like a couple injuries and they need to give someone a day off, maybe they move Freilich into the infield. I have a feeling we're going to see him still much more in the outfield than the infield. And we'll obviously get into him more next week with our outfield preview. But yeah, it's definitely interesting news and curious news. And I'm my interest is peaked on this one. Yeah, my my interest is very peaked as well. And clearly the Brewers have an idea what they want their outfield to look like and they know they need to find other positions for guys to get regular at bats. Yeah. I think this might actually, we're going to get into one guy later when we get into our infield preview that I think this might tell a little bit about, but we'll see. So let's get into that infield preview. And the first spot I want to start is first base. The Brewers signed Reese Hoskins to uh, come in and be their first baseman this year. Tell me what you're thinking about Reese Hoskins in the first base position. Yeah, I think, you know what, we're going to get a guy that can hold down first base, hit us some home runs, and um, I'm not expecting him to be like a huge game changer, like all-star for the, you know, Brewers here, but I think he's going to be very solid. Yeah, he like you said, he's a big power bat. Uh, he hit 30 home runs in 2022. He missed all of 2023. He's had an OPS plus of 120 or better in the five of six seasons that he's been in the major leagues. And the one season that he didn't was early in his career and it was still above average. So I think you can pretty much lock down that if healthy, he's going to be a well above average bat in the middle of your order, hitting you hitting for lots of power. And that's what the hope is. That's what um, they signed. That's the reason they signed him. I don't think we need to go much more in depth on that. I think he's going to be in there most days. Maybe he occasionally DHs, but defensively, he's not a good defensive first baseman, but he's an upgrade over what Rowdy Telez was last year. So I'm not super worried about that end of things. Yeah, that's what I got on Reese Hoskins. Yep, I agree. Moving on to second base. I think most people would list Bryce Terang as the starter at second base. Give me your thoughts on Bryce Terang. 
Yeah, I mean, a young guy with a lot of excitement around him as he was coming up through the system, and I think he's going to be a pretty solid uh, second baseman for the Brewers here. I would, I, th- I mean, we're going to see a guy that obviously we know he doesn't hit for a lot of power already, uh, so hopefully he starts hitting for a decent average, but I think, I personally think he's going to stick around uh, second base most of the season for the Brewers here. So he's the guy that I think I'm most worried about of the people we're going to talk about here are these potential starters. We know he's an elite defender. He has every defensive tool you could want. He proved it last year. One of the best defensive second basemen in all of baseball last year. He was awesome on that side. He was a really bad. He was really bad from the plate. He only had a 62 OPS plus. He did steal 26 bases. So he has some speed. But like you said, hit for only six home runs, barely no power, didn't really get on base a ton or have a high batting average. Pretty lackluster from the plate. And to me, a lot of the moves that the Brewers have made this year, I'm just trying to read between the lines here, but it feels like a lot of the moves the Brewers have made this year show that they don't have, uh, they're at least not willing to let Bryce Terang go into the season as the unquestioned second baseman. I mean, you have Sal Freilich getting some time here at second base in, in spring training. They traded two top 30 prospects to go get Oliver Dunn, uh, a guy who has never played in the majors but is knocking on the door. He's a guy that could possibly get some time at second base. They trade for Joey Ortiz, who we both agree we think is the shortstop of the future. But in the meantime, he's not going to be the shortstop this year. So it's possible that Joey Ortiz gets some time at second base. Like to me, they just brought in a lot of possible alternatives at the second base spot. And I I do think Bryce Turing is the leader in the clubhouse to start the year there. But if he continues to struggle from the plate, I don't think he has a super long leash there before they move on to whether it be Ortiz or Dunn or Freilich or whoever else. Yeah, that's a definitely interesting thought process. I mean, who are you playing at third base on? I mean, we'll get there, but if Ortiz is slotting over at third, who are you playing at the hot corner over there? Yeah, so we can talk about third base before we get to shortstop because I think that is a more intriguing spot. Um, Third base, I have no idea, right? Like, if I were writing out the lineup card today, I think it's Reese Hoskins at first, Bryce Turing at second, we'll get to Adamas at short. I would think it's probably Jory Ortiz at third. I think that's where he starts the year. He is an elite defender. He, we talked, we, I mean, we, we talked about Jory Ortiz quite a bit during the trade, but we'll just recap it here quick. Elite defender hits the ball very hard. Does not hit with a high launch angle. So he doesn't hit a ton of home runs, but he has a lot hits for a lot of doubles plays great defense. That's Joey Ortiz. If he doesn't play, if he were to slide over to second base, I, they do have Tyler Black, who I think could get a lot of time at third base this year. He's a guy who we talked about him as one of their top five prospects. He had 55 steals in the minor leagues last year. He had hit for 18 home runs at an on-base percentage over 400 in the minor leagues. I think he's. there's no question that Tyler Black is going to hit well enough in the major leagues. The question will be his defense. He has some range, but he doesn't, I don't know if he has the arm for third base. But I think there is a possibility that there's a world where if Terang's not hitting, they moved Ortiz over to second base and called Tyler Black up to play third base. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. I, I guess I wasn't considering that move in my first initial thought, but that does make a lot of sense. Uh, shortstop, I think we 
I, I mean, it, it's Willie Adamas, right? We know what Willie Adamas is. He's an elite defender. He had a little bit of a down year last year, only had an OPS plus of 95, which again, 100 is average. So he was slightly below average. But in previous years, he's been well above average while also providing that elite defense. And he's in a contract year this year. So you know he's going to come in motivated, wanting to go earn that big contract for himself, that long-term, whether it's with the Brewers or in free agency, that long-term big money deal. Um, uh, I mean, as long as Willie Adams is healthy, he's going to be the shortstop this year. And even last year, right, where he had an OPS plus of only 95, still when you add roughly a league average bat with elite defense, that's a plus player at shortstop. So like, it's not like he was even bad last year. So I, I, barring any sort of injury, I expect Willie Adams to start he won't start every game, right? He'll need days off, but start the vast majority of games at shortstop. Yeah, I mean, you you start looking at the infield, the possibility. Uh, the Brewers are probably going to have a very plus defense out, or I should say, infield. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Hoskins, not the best defender, but Terang, elite defender, Joey Ortiz, elite defender, Willie Adamas, elite defender. Like, even when you start to get into the depth. Andrew Bonasterio, while he's probably not an elite defender, he's a solid enough defender. So, like, their defense, and we'll get to the catcher position, too. We haven't talked about that yet, but William Contreras, an elite defender at catcher. So, yeah, their their defense around the infield, besides at first base, is probably going to be elite more often than not. I mean, I, I don't think the Brewers will ever invest in elite defense at first base at this point. I mean, we've seen some absolute... Uh, insane insanity at first base in recent years yeah they uh they don't believe in first base defense and which is weird for a team that prioritizes defense i mean carlos santana was a really good defender at first but he's basically the only one that's been a really good defender at that position that they've had recently so it is weird but i mean they mu- they just must have metrics that tell you that first base defense really doesn't mean much yeah mu- must be like they must, out of all defensive positions, first base must be the lowest priority for the team. One other guy I wanted to hit on before we get to the catcher position they acquired in the offseason is Jake Bowers. He, I'm assuming, is going to be the backup first base. Maybe he gets some time at DH. Maybe he even gets some outfield time. I didn't know entirely where to bring him in, but he's out of options. I think he's going to make the roster, so this seems as good of a place as any to talk about him. He is a lefty who hits for some power. He's never been a great hitter. He only had an OPS plus of 87, but the Brewers clearly see something because they gave up a top 30 prospect in Jason Vina to go acquire him. And I don't think they're doing that to acquire a guy to not have him on the roster, not play at least some, because again, he's out of options. So he has to make the roster or they are going to have to cut him. And I don't think the Brewers are in the business of giving up a, halfway decent prospect for some guy they're not even going to keep on the roster. So I'm curious where Jake Bowers is going to fit in here because with the Reese Hoskins signing, there is no natural fit. Maybe he's platoons at DH with Gary Sanchez. Maybe he is just a backup at first base and in the outfield. I don't, I don't entirely know. Um, but it guy that I felt like we have to mention, because I do think he's going to play at least somewhat significant at bats or this season. Yeah, I would assume that he's going to at least get some playing time back up, at least make the roster initially. Uh, Then before, again, before we get to the catcher, 
I don't know if you want to talk about any of these people. The other people that I have that are competing kind of for the backup utility spots that we might see during the season from injuries. I don't know if you want to mention any of them, but I have a fairly long list here. Andrew Monasterio, Owen Miller, Oliver Dunn, Christian Arroyo, and Jemai Jones, uh, uh, and Vinny Capra. Any of those guys stand out to you that you think we should mention? I, I don't think there's anyone in particular there that stands out for me. Yeah, that's kind of how I am. This is just a hodgepodge group of guys that some someone on this list is going to play due to injury. I couldn't tell you who, right? Like Andrew Monasterio played quite a bit last year at third base. They traded two top 30 prospects for Oliver Dunn. Like that tells me they value him. Owen Miller played quite a bit last year at first and second base. They signed Christian Arroyo to a deal that could make, I mean, he's a non-roster invite, but he could make, I believe, up to one and a half or $2 million. Like, I don't know who on that list is going to get at bats, but someone on that list is going to get at bats, but I don't think we need to preview them all. We'll deal with that whenever the time comes. We have a long spring training ahead of us. Yeah, it's going to be, honestly, the battle between those guys to be the backup utility infielder is going to be fascinating and going to be fun. Yep, we can talk about it as it occurs. (laughs) All right, so then let's get to the catcher position. Starting catcher, probably, I would argue, the best player on the team. And that's Bill Contreras uh, talked about him a little bit. He's an elite defender. He has been, had an OPS plus of 125 last year and 136 the year before he DH'd in 67 games last year. So we'll have to talk about a backup catcher. Cause I mean, obviously backup catcher is going to play quite a bit, but as far as Bill Contreras goes, I mean, he's a good, really good hitter. He's a great defender. Like I said, I think he's the best player on the team. I think he's got this position on lock. Yeah, I would agree. He's probably the best player on the team. I think he was worth 5.4 war last year, uh, both on the offense and defensive side. Uh, You know, great player. And I would say at this point, uh, he's definitely becoming the face of the franchise. Yeah, he's my personal favorite player on the Brewers right now. I mean, we'll see if that changes with all these young guys coming up. But I really enjoy watching him play on both sides of the ball that trade to acquire him. We talked about it at the time. It was just such a mind blowingly great trade. We couldn't believe it happened and it lived up to the hype. Right. And that was fun. So love me some Bill Contreras. I don't think we need to go a ton into depth with him. Just he's really good. Yep. Agree. All right. So the backup catcher, which I was going to come on here and talk about how, well, we Gary Sanchez signed two weeks ago and we talked about it at the time, but now it hasn't been officially announced by the team yet. And what's going on? Well, right before we recorded, Ken Rosenthal dropped an article saying that the deal is finally being close to finalized. Apparently. So Gary Sanchez broke his wrist at the end of last year when he got hit by a 98 mile per hour fastball. There was some questions on the physical that the Brewers had him do. Those questions have been resolved. He's going to take a little bit of a lower base salary and have some incentives to make up for it uh, based on games played and stuff like that. But Gary Sanchez is coming in. He's going to be your backup catcher, probably get some time at DH as well. What are your thoughts on Gary Sanchez? Yeah, I mean, uh, he definitely has power. Uh, Don't know where that equates out with the wrist. Um, He, I mean, at least he had power back in the day, so... I mean, he's 31 now. Um, I would say, I think, what, even with the wrist, didn't he hit, like, 20 last year? He had 19 home runs. I mean, it's worth noting, the wrist wasn't, uh, he broke the wrist 
in his last at bat of the season because he broke it and then went on the injured list at the beginning of September. Um, and then yeah, so it didn't play. impact. Yeah. Right, but yeah, he had 19 home runs as basically a part-time player last year. Uh, so he brings a lot of power. That's basically he doesn't get on base a ton, but when he hits the ball, he hits it very hard and very far. I expect him to start every day versus a lefty. Anytime there's a lefty pitcher in there, I expect him to come in and start. He's a lefty masher of sorts. And I think you can tell based on the acquisitions the Brewers made, Reese Hoskins, Gary Sanchez, Jake Bowers fits this here a little bit. We talked about it. The Brewers offense last year lacked power. They got on base a decent amount. They stole bases a decent amount, but they did not hit for power. And they have, it seems, have made it a priority to add power to their lineup. Guys who can hit the ball over the fence. Gary Sanchez certainly adds that. So I do expect that we'll see quite a bit of Gary Sanchez playing time this season um, as the backup catcher. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense as long as he stays healthy. And uh, I know they have some concerns with the wrists, and hopefully he can get out on the field. And um, other than that, though, if he's not able to, where are you turning to for backup catching duties? So that was another interesting part about this Ken Rosenthal article. He mentioned that the Brewers are expected to carry three catchers. They signed Eric Haas in the offseason to a one-year deal to originally be the backup catcher before this Gary Sanchez deal came came through. I, I'm assuming that was sort of an unexpected opportunity that the Brewers took advantage of. Um, but So they have Eric Haas on a, a one-year contract, and it sounds like at least the initial plan, we'll see maybe spring training performances or injuries adjust this plan, but it sounds like they're expecting to carry three catchers. And Eric Haas has played a little bit in the outfield, but he is a guy who had a bad year last year. He had an OPS plus of, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it was like 70 or so last year, but the two years prior to that, it was over a hundred. So he was an above average hitter and not a great defender, so I don't entirely know where he's going to fit in, in into getting at bats. And if they do carry three catchers, that is going to limit, obviously, depth in a, a different area, which makes me think maybe Gary Sanchez really will get more DH at bats than we're expecting. But I don't know. It'd be really interesting. It, it's not something they've done in recent memory is carry three catchers. Yeah, that, that would be an interesting uh, roster construction, especially, like you said, for uh, a recent time here for the Brewers. Maybe that's why Sal Freilich is playing infield is to help make up for some of that lack of depth they'd carry. Yeah, very well could be. I mean, or they could be future proofing this too, right? They know Willie Domus is probably last season as a Brewer. So let's get, let's get like Sal as much time this season and uh, spring training as they can gearing up for next season, maybe. Yeah, very possible. We'll talk more, I guess, about the outfield stuff next week. But yeah, I don't know. It's honestly, when I look at this infield, I know William Contreras is going to be the catcher. I know Reese Hoskins is going to be the first baseman. I know Willie Damas is going to be the shortstop. Outside of that, I feel like I know Joey Ortiz is going to play. I don't know if it's going to be at second base or third base. I feel like I know Gary Sanchez is going to play. I don't know if that's going to be as a backup catcher or DH. And then... I don't know who else is going to fill in here. Like Bryce Terang probably is going to get a good amount of playing time, but can he keep it? I expect Tyler Black to get called up at some point this year. How does he do and what position does he play? This is kind of a a little bit of a, a jumbled mess here in the infield, but I feel like they have a lot of depth and they actually have a lot of good options. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely excited for it as well. 
All right. Anything else on the Milwaukee Brewers this week? Nothing else on the Brewers for me, at least. All right. I'm looking forward to it. This time next week, we do our last position preview, and we're going to have actual baseball games to talk about as the Brewers kick off their spring training slate this weekend. And, uh, man, I'm looking forward to having baseball back. Yeah. It's uh, like you always kind of like, oh, it's that weird, you know, flux of seasons. And now we're like, oh, I'm ready for baseball already. Yep. I'm definitely ready for baseball. For the first couple of weeks, and then they'll be like, oh, man, this is going to be a long season. <laughs> well, especially spring training. I mean, NFL now has, what, three weeks of preseason, and the NBA has, like, a week and a half, two weeks of preseason. MLB has six weeks of spring training. It takes so long. Yeah, it so, does. Like, the first couple of weeks are fun, and then it's like, all right, can we get to the season, please? Yep. And then the season starts, and then you go, all right, this is a lot of games. Yeah, 162 games this is a lot. Literally over half of the actual yearly calendar, I think, the Brewers play on. Because they play yeah. 162 games plus six weeks of spring training, plus potentially any playoff games they may or may not play. So I'm pretty sure you're looking at over half of this half of the year there's a Brewers game on. I would agree with that. All right, that's enough Brewers talk this week. We're going to have plenty of that in the future. Where are we going to next, sir? Yeah, I think uh, we want to kind of... Uh, circle around and end it in the uh, college space. Yeah, so I think we want to start with Marquette this week, as we've started the last couple weeks with Wisconsin. And woof, that was a bad one for Marquette. We hyped up, I think a lot of people hyped up. It was number one versus number four, Marquette versus UConn. Let's just say you're not going to win many games when you're out-rebounded by 14, you only shoot 21% from three, and you uh, commit 13 turnovers. It's not and a you- winning recipe. And you shoot overall under 40%. Yeah, not a, a going against the number one team. That's not a winning recipe. <laughs> no, 27 boards only, but w- this is what we said, right? They're very uh, susceptible to getting out-rebounded, which can w- lead to bad beats. And when you're playing the number one team in the country, uh, being out-rebounded by that much is not a good sign. And yeah, I mean, what, Kolek had seven points in here. Uh, Jones with 15, Igadaro with 14. So, I mean, Joplin only had three points in this. So it's it was a very tough game for a lot of guys. Yeah. And, the, I mean, they got out-remounted, like we talked about. But it's not even, like, it, we know kind of Marquette's going to get out-remounted. You can't get out-remounted and then shoot as poorly as they did and then commit as many turnovers as they did. Like, that's just... That's how you lose a game by 28. They lost 81 to 53. I don't think we ever said the score 81 to 53. And it's one game, right? I don't ever like reading too much into any one game, good or bad, but that, that game absolutely did not live up to the hype. And I think, I mean, we're going to talk about it, but a couple weeks ago, we got a question on if Wisconsin and Marquette could compete for a national championship. And man, the way I answered that question a couple weeks ago and the way I answer that question now probably a little bit different of answers yeah i i would agree with that and uh what they had nine assists and yukon had 24 so even the ball movement wasn't there for uh the golden eagles thankfully this loss didn't seem to hurt them a ton in the rankings they only dropped from number four to number seven they stay on the two seed line on brett on espn's bracketology so from that angle 
I mean, it was a bad loss, but it doesn't seem like it truly affected them in a massively meaningful way. Um, so we'll see how they bounce back. Uh, I think it does take them out of the race for the Big East regular season championship. They're now three games behind UConn and have lost the the tiebreaker. So they would need to basically win out and have UConn lose at least four games. And I don't really think that's very likely. So uh, unfortunately, it takes them out. They probably won't be back-to-back Big East champions. But they're still have they're still in a position where they should have a decent seed come March as long as they don't collapse here and be able to if they can get hot make a run but yeah definitely a disappointing loss yeah it definitely was a disappointing loss uh for marquette and i unless you have anything else on marquette we can go to wisconsin who's probably just as much of a disappointment this week yeah i guess it depends on your how how you determine that because wisconsin lost at iowa who is nowhere near as good as uconn is they're iowa's okay right they're not terrible but they're not the number one team in the country, but Wisconsin also lost by two in overtime as opposed to losing by 28. So it really kind of just depends on which one, which way I guess you prefer, but still not great. They did win the Ohio state game. We were talking about at the end of last week. And as we are recording right now, they're playing Maryland. There's 17 minutes to go left in the second half. And Wisconsin is currently up 10, 42 to 32. So we'll see if they can hold on there. But that loss to Iowa was disappointing. It knocks them out of the top, tw- the AP top 25. They fall down to being a five seed now on uh, Joel Lenardi's latest bracketology report. Um, not a great stretch here for the Wisconsin Badgers. No, it's uh, coming very much uh, like we had talked about in recent years. Just good old Wisconsin basketball. Well, so what's fascinating to me, and I hadn't realized this, but in the Big Ten, every single team outside of Purdue has a losing record on the road. Every single team. And if you think about all these recent Wisconsin losses, all of them are on the road except for the Purdue game where it was close. I mean, Iowa was on the road. Nebraska was on the road. Rutgers was on the road. Michigan was on the road. Like, they clearly are a very different team at home versus on the road. The Ohio state game, they won last week at home, currently up eight against Maryland with 15 and a half to go at home. Like it's very clear to me, Wisconsin at home and on the road, two very different teams. And I don't know how that equates to the NCAA tournament. I mean, they played a couple neutral site games in the Fort Myers tip off and won those there. They won the Fort Myers championship, but, I don't know how much you can really read into that, into how that's going to equate into national, uh, into the NCAA tournament or even the Big Ten tournament, but it, it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, that is a very interesting uh, tidbit of information there. Currently, like I said, they're a five seed. Uh, they did fall out of the AP top 25, so they have some work to do, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully they turn this around. Yeah, and hopefully they get back on track. Um, and then UWGB also fell as well, losing 57 to 58 against Northern Kentucky. A uh, little road bump in their uh, pretty successful season for them. Yeah, they actually fell, unfortunately, out of first place in the Horizon League. Um, but there, it's only a half game. Like They're still very much in the race going forward. So they are currently not on Joe Lenardi's bracketology because 
they're not in first place and the horizon league is only a one bid league. So they're not, it's, it's basically win the conference or get in. And frankly, we all know it's the conference tournament, not the regular season tournament. So you could argue none of these games actually matter, but I would like to see UW green Bay win another regular season tournament that lost to Northern Kentucky was definitely disappointing. There was a really good article uh, by Matt Schneiderman, who normally covers the Packers, but they're obviously in their off season right now. He wrote a really cool article in the athletic about Sundance, Sundance Wicks and the UW Green Bay team. I highly recommend you check that out if you have the capabilities to do so. Yeah, I would recommend that as well. Uh, you have anything else on college sports? Uh, I did want to just briefly mention, we don't talk about the women's side of, of the game very often. But currently, uh, I just checked the bracketology reports for the women's side as of earlier today. And while none of Wisconsin Marquette or UW-Green Bay are in first place in their conferences, UW-Green Bay is in second. Uh, Marquette is and Wisconsin are not anywhere near. They're not going to win their conference. But even with being in second in the Horizon League, UW-Green Bay was actually getting an at-large bid as a 10 seed, according to that bracketology, and Marquette was getting an at-large bid as a 9 seed. So hopefully, I mean, we'll see how things continue, but it looks like we might have a chance of having at least a couple uh, couple Wisconsin teams make the women's NCAA tournament, which would be exciting. and be fun. It would be really fun to get UW-Green Bay back in there. They were a mainstay for such a long time, and it would be fun to see them make it again. Yeah, that would be very fun. Um, and then just cycling off on some hockey here on the men's side, uh, they had two games over the weekend, losing both to Ohio State. The first one, two, three in overtime, and the second one, one to three. And then that brings their current record to 22, eight and two. On the women's side, a little bit more success. Uh, their current record is 28 and four, and they had two games as well. Uh, against Minnesota, winning both of those. So it's always awesome when you beat Minnesota. They won the first one 4-3 to three, and then uh, shut them out on Saturday in a 4-0 victory. There's not many things in life I like better than beating a Minnesota team in sports. Maybe beating an Illinois team. I was just going to say other than beating like a Chicago team, but <laughs> that's about it. Um, and one other last note I have to Bo Ryan is a finalist for the Naismith hall of fame. So that would be really cool. I don't know if he's going to get in or not, obviously, but um, it would be really cool to see Bo Ryan honored in that way. That, that would be really cool. Do you have anything else to talk about on Wisconsin sports this week? No, that's it. Pretty light week. We're, I mean, we still stretch it out to 50 minutes. So, you know, me and you are pretty good at being able to do that. But yeah, not a whole lot going on. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's end it with uh, naming our Wisconsin Athlete of the Week. Who are you going to go with? My MVP this week, pretty easy choice, is Damian Lillard. It's Dame time. Won the All-Star Game MVP. Won the three-point contest. Got to go with him. He's my guy. Yep. Second that. I, I don't think there's anybody else worthy. No, not when Marquette loses by 28, Wisconsin loses, UW-Green Bay loses. Like, Yeah, it's got to be Dame. Dame's the obvious choice here. 100%. All right, everybody, we appreciate listening. You know what's wild? I'm looking at this. He's our first Milwaukee Buck we've chosen in 2024. That is wild, and it's not even because of his performance in the All-Star Week.
Oh, no, I take it back. You chose Bobby Portis two weeks ago. Oh, you forgot about Bobby. So did I. I did. did. (laughs) Yeah, so I take it back. Scratch that. Scratch that. All right. All right. Fair (laughs) enough. All right, everybody. We appreciate it. All right. See you guys. Have a good one. Looking forward to next week, and uh, we'll be back.